Holy smokes. We have got an ensemble of topics that we have to hit on today's episode. The first major trade in the NHL happened before the trade deadline. Jack Eichel is set to make his debut for the Vegas Golden Knights. Arizona had photos and pictures of their new arena. Brad Marchand gets a suspension. Tuka Rask calls it a career. Coaching changes galore. Get ready. Episode 120 of the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Let's go. Man, oh man, what a show this is going to be. Welcome into the Second Thoughts Hockey Podcast. Cal Grimard, your host as always. Before we get to anything, if you'd like to follow along on Instagram and Twitter at ST Hockey Podcast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Hockey Writers. I just dropped a brand new article about the Vancouver Canucks. And you know, they're still kind of hanging around, but there's some trade rumors about some of the players. And I said, well, let's hold the brakes. If they want to keep this core together, here are players that they could trade without losing core pieces like, I don't know, JT Miller and Brock Besser. But you want to go check that one out. It is on the Hockey Writers page under the Vancouver Canucks. We got a lot to get to on the episode today. Um, I want to start things off with uh, just a comment about I I had a couple of messages from some of you listeners discussing the things that I post. And I just want to address that really quickly. Tyler Toffoli, new member of the Calgary Flames. We'll break that one down, that trade between them and the the Montreal Canadiens. Jack Eichel set to make his debut for the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll talk about that. The also the retroactive move that happened, which allowed Eichel to play. Arizona and just their new stadium or their new home temporarily for the next three years. There was photos and videos about it. We'll talk about that. Uh, Brad Marchand got suspended. Rightfully so. Appealed it. Unrightfully so. We'll discuss Tuka Rask calling it a career and a couple coaching changes we'll get to as well. But I want to start with this. So I live in London, Ontario. I'm near the GTA, the greater Toronto area, which means that I'm a lot closer to the Toronto Maple Leafs, just in distance, anything like that, than other teams. The other team that I'd be close to in terms of distance-wise is the Detroit Red Wings, in which case they're not making a whole lot of noise. I've gotten some messages from some people. This is a while back, but I still wanted to bring it up today because of what I did today. People will comment, be like, oh, this is just a Leaf channel. This is just a Leaf station. First of all, outside of the post today that I made, I have to go back and I'm going to count these out loud. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. 24 posts. I have posted between this past Leafs post and the one prior. I'm not a Leafs. I don't I don't cover solely the Leafs. I talk about them. I definitely bring them up more than, say, the Arizona Coyotes, say the San Jose Sharks, say the Detroit Red Wings or Buffalo Sabres. Why? Because they're one of the most talked about teams. They're one of the most followed teams in the league. You ever notice when you go when you go watch major sports networks over in the States, one of the first topics they always bring up? It's the Dallas Cowboys. Why? 
because they're one of the most notorious teams and most talked about teams and most popular teams in the NFL. I don't go out of my way to only post Leafs content, but to put it in perspective for you, I posted a reel today. The Leafs beat the Kraken last night 6-2. Mitch Marner sets up David Camp for a shorthanded goal where he cuts into the goaltender, drops the puck back, and Chris Drieger and Jared McCann are almost in the corner because they were both fooled on the fact that Marner was going to shoot that puck. Nice, right? He came all the way around and took a victory lap and hammered it. Now Giordano, Geeky did an outstanding job in that contest. Now McCann along the boards, moved in deeper by Johansson. Giordano, look out, shorthanded, Mitch Marner, open ice, he's in, he'll drag it, he'll drop it off, and they score. It's David Camp, who's injured as he was taken down at the end of the scoring play. You guys follow my Instagram. I barely have a couple hundred followers, if that. The post is 230 likes. Why? Because it's Leaf content. And Leaf content does well. It just does. I have the Trevor Zegras goal. The wraparound Trevor Zegras goal. And the one, the Trevor Zegras goal from the All-Star game. The one that no one shut up about. It's got eight likes. Eight likes. It's a real. If I go through my reels, Carey Price one's got a lot. The other Trevor Zegers one, 214. The Leon Dreisaitl post where he talked about saying pissy stuff. Where he called the reporter, the reporter called him pissy. It's like 33 likes. The next best reel I have, it's William Nylander. 130 likes. The Kale McCarr one did really well. It's got about 830 likes. Uh, I have Nick Bukestad with like scoring just a ridiculous goal that has 806 likes. A Jack Campbell save has 100 likes. And my most liked reel, my most viewed reel has 400,000 views. And it's Marie-Philippe Poulin in the Canada-US Rival Series. That has 2,200 likes. But that's rare. This will be my fourth most liked video. The other ones are absolutely insane or they're Team Canada. The Leafs get likes, man. I don't know what to tell you. I'm a broadcaster. I just started this podcast like two years ago. You're trying to build a following. You're trying to get likes. Leaf content delivers. I have the Trevor Zegris Michigan assist, Michigan goal, and the dodgeball goal he scored at the All-Star game. All three of those posts combined have less likes and views than the Mitch Marner post from his assist yesterday that I posted Four hours ago. Leafs content gets likes. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, moving on. By the way, they won last night. They look incredible. Marner, by the way, has in his last 11 games, 22 points. All he did was lack confidence. That's it. That's all he did. He's got confidence back. He's got a swag back. I remember talked about uh, OHL Mitch Marner, his last year with the London Knights. Oh, guy was dangerous. 
And just a reminder, they won the Memorial Cup that year. Mitch Marner in the postseason broke Connor McDavid's record for most playoff points in a playoff run and averaged more points per game than Connor McDavid did. He was that good in, in, in junior. He has if he brings that level of confidence where he knows he's the best player or he knows he's just vibing, he's a nightmare to stop. But sometimes he gets in his own head and he makes decisions that he normally wouldn't make. We saw it in the playoffs last year. But when the dude's on, the dude's on. Yeah, he's making almost $11 million right now. It's kind of worth it. You got you to gotta ride the highs and the lows with Mitch Marner. His highs are as high as anyone's in the league. Like 22 points. Like he he's averaging a goal a game and an assist a game in his last 11 games. Went through the stretch. He didn't score a power play goal for like 100 games. Doesn't he have like four since then? In like 11, it's 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 insane. He had an eight-game goal streak, which tied Austin Matthews for this year, who won the Rocket Richard last year. When the dude's hot, the dude's hot. Like casually last night, Marner had a goal and two assists. You probably looked at it when, yeah, whatever. And they kept going. Like you're not blown away by that stat line because you expect that of Mitch Marner. Now you can't expect three points every single game, but that's the high he can get. So when he goes three, four games at a point, you, you're kind of concerned. But when that dude's hot, that dude's hot. All right, I want to keep moving here because we have a lot to get to today. I want to get stuck on one topic. I want to take each topic for like six, seven minutes today. But the first trade, the major trade was happening in the NHL prior to the trade deadline, which is coming up in March, I believe. Tyler Toffoli going back out west where he played with the Kings, with the Canucks, and now the Calgary Flames. The Montreal Canadiens traded him to the Flames in exchange for a 2022 first-round pick. A 2023 fifth-rounder, prospect Emil Heinemann, and forward Tyler Pitlick. Both teams announced yesterday. The 2022 pick is top 10 protected. So if it doesn't convey, the Canadians will get a 2023 first-rounder and a 2024 fourth-round pick, though I don't think it's going to be within the top 10. Calgary just is too, they're on fire right now. Uh, so far this season, Toffoli has really been the only bright spot for the team. He's got nine goals and 17 assists in 27 games. He led all Canadian skaters of 44 points last year and was one of the key cogs on their Stanley Cup playoff run. Uh, so this was said uh, from Flames general manager Brad Living. Said Toffoli's a proven scorer in this league. He can touch every part of the game, five on five, power play, penalty kill. And with a pedigree that he has, I think he's going to be a great addition. The Flames have had this anomaly or this perspective that they don't have scoring depth and last year I even though last year they weren't they weren't great like they didn't make the playoffs they were a huge disappointment they made all the changes that when you see as a fan or as a reporter or a broadcaster or an analyst you go that's the right thing to do Elias Lindholm was playing wing they they basically last year they loaded one line it was like I think it was Monaghan, Lindholm, Goudreau. And then it was like Kachuk, Mangiapane when he wasn't scoring 20. And then Dylan Dubé maybe. But this year, they took Lindholm, who can play center, put him at center. They've got Goudreau off Monaghan's line. They, they've had this mindset that Goudreau and Monaghan have to play together. They don't. And Monaghan, unfortunately, has just not lived up. I, I don't know if it's contract year for him or not, but it's not looking good for him. But all of a sudden, 
this season, I don't think they're great in scoring, but they're significantly better than what they were before. Like they've got 152 goals this year. Say what you want, 152 goals, it's more than the Edmonton Oilers. 152 goals is more than the New York Rangers. 152 goals is more than the Boston Bruins. 152 goals. That's second in their division, only behind the Vegas Golden Knights, who have 10 more. They've also played three more games. They have pretty balanced scoring, but now they add a guy. Johnny Gaudreau, 58 points this season. Matthew Kachuk, 50 points this season. He's one of their two 20-goal scorers. Elias Lindholm, balanced 18 goals, 22 assists, 40 points in 45 games. Mangiapane leads the team with 24 goals, has just seven assists. And now all of a sudden, you add Tyler Toffoli to the mix, who only has nine goals this year, but he is a guy in the past that has put up regularly 20-plus goals. I think he did it last year. He had 28 goals for the Habs last year. Prior to that, too, he scored 24 goals with the Kings, scored 24 goals with the Kings again, and he had a 30-goal season with the Kings back in 2015-2016. His playoff numbers are also great, too. He can absolutely decimate you. He scored some big, big game-winning goals. He had 14 points, won a Stanley Cup in 2014. He had 14 points in last year's playoffs. What a great ad for the Flames. And there's the big joke. They're becoming the Calgary Canucks now because Toffoli, Markstrom, and Tanev were all part of that Canucks team that went to the second round of the bubble where they lost to Vegas in seven. Markstrom got hurt in that one, but like that was their big ad. They got Toffoli from the Kings. The Canucks did that year. But I like the ad. And there's not a whole lot of bright spots going on in Montreal, so his goal scoring will go up. But now you've got another coveted right winger who you can throw in there, and he is your absolute bona fide, he's your second line right winger, right? Or even your first, I I don't know, you can mix it up. But that's what I've liked about the Flames for the past couple years, is they've mixed it up, they've balanced the roster. It's not just they had one stack line before, and they tried to put Lindholm, and they basically just blew up their top six, and then their bottom six was useless and then they got bounced in the first round by Colorado in like four or five games that one year Lindholm's playing center they're balanced and now you add to Foley I thought they were I think they still gonna add a defenseman but like defensively they're fine Jacob Markstrom's in the running for the Vesna this year I've always thought he was a great signing I remember when he was available there were so many links from Markstrom to Edmonton and he didn't go to Edmonton and I mean Edmonton missed on that one and Calgary got their guy they were tr- they've been trying to find their guy basically I don't know, since Mika Kippersoff? No lie. Who have they had between Mika Kippersoff and Markstrom? They had Kari Ramo for a bit. They had Dave Redich, big, da- big Save Dave. They've had a bunch of other guys kind of come in there and help f- kind of fill the gap. And they finally got their guy. They didn't have to draft him, but they got their guy. And Markstrom has been an absolute rock this year. I just want to I just want to bring up here. I want to bring up their their line combinations and, and let you know what I'm talking about for the Calgary Flames. So this team right now has Elias Lindholm at center with Goudreau and Kachuk. Now you're going to because they also had Blake Coleman in the offseason. It's Michael Backlund, Tyler Toffoli, Blake Coleman. 
Your third line is Sean Monahan, Dylan Dubé, and Andrew Mangiapane. Remember what I said about the team a couple years ago? Dubé and Mangiapane were playing first and second line. Monahan was your first line center. Oh, and you have Trevor Lewis and Milan Lucic on your fourth line. Defensively, they're nice and balanced. They've got Rasmus Anderson, Noah Hannafin, Chris Tanev, Oliver Kylington, who I really like as a player. And then your fourth line is just a nightmare defensive. I mean, it's a weird combination, but do you want to play against Nikita Zadorov and Erica Branson? That's the last duo I want to see. If I'm a forward, like if I am... Who would they play right now if this were the playoffs? Calgary Flames right now. If I go to the wild card right now, the Calgary Flames are sitting in second in the Pacific. They would play the L.A. Kings. Do you think Victor Arvidsson? Little. I mean, I love Arvidsson as a player, but 5'10", 185 pound Victor Arvidsson is going to love going against six foot five, 225 pound Erica Branson. Do you think he's going to love going against six foot six, 235 pound Nikita Zadorov? Did you see that hit by the way Zadorov had the flames handled the Leafs? I mean, Markstrom played well, their goaltending played well because the Leafs outshot him, but they were physical. They're in your face. They're going to be tough. This year. And now you've got a forward in Tyler Toffoli who has term left on his deal. Who can score in the playoffs, who's physical, and he's won a cup. It's an A-plus move by them. It's honestly an A move for the uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. I think that was the scores I saw when there was a breakdown of it. But the Habs get rid of a guy. They don't retain salary. They get a first-round pick. A fifth rounder, a former second round pick in Emil Heineman, and Tyler Pitlick, who's a good, solid, hardworking player. So you got two first round picks in a draft class that is pretty stacked this year. You don't have to retain any salary, and you can you still got all your young players you can build. Again, you knew that last year's Montreal Canadiens team was. It was a Cinderella team. They weren't nearly as good as the way they were playing. Why? Well, Carey Carey Price was playing out of his mind. You had Shea Weber, Philip Deneau, uh, an ignorant Cole Caulfield who was scoring goals. You had Jesper Kocknyem. You had like four power play, who had like four game winning goals, sorry. To Foley, who wouldn't stop scoring. Gallagher, who's a pest. You had Petrie not having to worry about defensive responsibility. So he was just scoring at a ridiculous rate. And then you lose your most impactful forward in Deneau, your most impactful defender in Shea Weber, and your best player in Carey Price. Obviously, they weren't going to be good this year. I said this from the start. Go back and listen to the beginning of the season. I talked about the Habs. And that's the exact reason that I've been saying all year long as to why I don't think the Habs are going to be as good. Because they've lost their most impactful player at all three positions. And that's okay. You took a run at it. You took a stab at it. Not all Cinderella runs end with a championship. They don't. Oftentimes, they 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 fall short. Flames in 04 against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Oilers in 0, what was it, 06 against Carolina? 
07, you had the Ducks beating the Cinderella Ottawa Senators. Ottawa was another Cinderella. Remember that Eric Carlson playoff run where they lost to Pittsburgh in seven in the East Conference Finals? It happens. Rebuild, restock. Caulfield's, Caulfield's still going to be a player. You've still got Alexander Romanoff. You've still got Carey Price when he comes back. It just won't be this year. See what happens. Rebuild. We'll also talk about the Habs a little bit later on, but they made a coaching change. But I, I want to switch on because I want to get to this story because we're already 20 minutes in. So some big news in Vegas. Jack Eichel is finally set to play. General Manager Kelly McCrimmon announced yesterday that Jack Eichel will play when the Vegas Golden Knights take on the Colorado Avalanche. It has been a buildup for some time. It's been just over three months since Vegas acquired him in that big deal with the Buffalo Sabres. Remember, just 25 years of age. He hasn't played a game since last March, so it will be almost a calendar year since Jack Eichel's played a game. So don't just go in here and be like, Jack Eichel's going to put up two goals and assists in his debut. He had an artificial disc replacement surgery shortly after Vegas acquired him and spent the last few months recovering from the procedure, figuring it out. But Jack Eichel slotted right there on the number one center position. He's centering Max Pacioretty and Evgeny Dadunov. And then you've got Carlson with Smith and Yanmark, Stevenson with Roy Marcheseau, and then Howden with Patrick and Carrier. Now, in a corresponding move, this was interesting to me. Vegas placed Mark Stone on LTIR along with his $9.5 million cap. That will help alleviate the Golden Knights cap crunch when Eichel comes off of it and plays. When they eventually both come, I have no idea how they're going to figure that out. I, th- I still think they're figuring it out. I'm not sure what's exactly wrong with Mark Stone for the time being. I'm very curious in like wondering. And I'm not accusing, I'm not accusing them anybody of doing this. But Vegas is in a spot right now where they're first in their division. They might not be forever because Calgary's only a point behind with three games in hand. Kings are only four points behind with a game in hand. But they're in a playoff spot. Not super comfortably. But they're there. You think they try and ride it out for the next month and a half, two months without Stone, see if they can squeak in and pull a Tampa Bay Lightning and throw Stone back into the lineup when they make the playoffs and they don't have to worry about the cap? I guarantee it's at least been like joked about. You know what I mean? Like, like McCrimmon's sitting there with the coaching staff and they're like, wouldn't it be funny if we just bench Stone for the rest of the year and then did what Tampa did? Like, I guarantee you it's at least been a joke that has been brought up there. Because Vegas knew when they acquired Eichel that there was going to be some cap restrictions because Eichel makes $10 million a year. Stone makes $9.5 million a year. It's almost $20 million wrapped up into two players. Well, Kyle, the Leafs are paying $40 million for four. Yeah. And they all play. And by the way, they're one of the best teams in the league this year. But I'm curious. I just, I don't, I'm not going to accuse, I'm not going to assume anything, but I just, I find it super fascinating if that's the case. Anyways, I'm pumped to see it. The game is better with Jack Eichel in it. First time in a calendar year the dude's going to play. I'm just, imagine when they get everybody back and you got a first line of Jack Eichel, 
Mark Stone, and Max Pacioretty. Good friggin' luck. Good luck. All I'll say, you've got superstars littered on that line. You've got Pacioretty, who's like a 35-40 goal scorer. Eichel is a point-per-game, over-point-per-game generational talent. And Mark Stone, who has the most intense who has the most intensity I've ever seen on a player in my life, who's also easily one of their best rated players and one of the most underrated players in the league. Good luck to anybody that has to deal with or play Jack Eichel with Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty when they become a line because they will. Lord, look out for that team. Look out. Uh, Okay, I want to move on here. And this is something that happened about four or five days ago that I, I wasn't not going to address here on the podcast. This happened between this happened actually Friday. So it's only been like four days. This happened between a game that went on between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Boston Bruins. John bangs away and Jari makes yet another series of saves and Marshawn is hot. going to get an opportunity right here. Jerry makes a good stop, able to squeeze it with the left arm. Taylor Hall had an opportunity in there. Marshawn comes in with a right punch to the side of the head of Jari. That got reaction from all the Penguins as well as it should. And then Marshawn went as, you know, when he was trying to continue to go after Jari, he reaches up with his stick here with a mask. Well, the Pittsburgh goaltender. With a history like Marshawn's, that's not going to help. They're showing the replay we just showed you on the centerized scoreboard. Seven minutes in penalties for Marchand on the board right now, Jeff. Yep, and it's going to be reviewed, obviously. And So, Brad Marchand, in a game that Boston was losing, was fed up or not in a good mood that day. And during the game, I, I don't know if Jari said anything or was just getting in his head. But Brad Marchand doesn't like Tristan Jari. And during the game, as you heard, Brad Marchand, when Jari is covering the puckers carton to get up, goes over and sucker punches. By the way, not the first time he's done that. Sucker punches Tristan Jari square in the face. Like just gives him a good right hand. And Jari just kind of shakes it off. He's like, whatever, I'm wearing a mask, thank God. And then he's still chirping him. Marchand doesn't have his helmet at this point. And kind of jabs his stick towards Jari and catches him in the neck and tries to stab him with his stick. Well, the NHL offered an in-person hearing, which means that it's probably going to be five plus games. Brian Marchand got a six game suspension for his actions. On Friday, 
Brad Marchand appealed the six-game ban for roughing and high-sticking. Marchand said that the NHLPA had no intent or no reason or no, no grounds to suspend him. Here's what he said as to why he didn't think his actions warranted a suspension at all. Ready? Quote, was it stupid? Of course it was stupid. I'm not denying that. I absolutely should not have done it. But suspension worthy? I don't think so. <sighs> if you've watched the video, by the way, Jari isn't paying attention to Marshan at all when he punches him in the face. And then Jari later on is sitting in his crease. I don't know if he's saying anything, but he's not doing anything. And Marshan is losing his mind and then tries to jab him in the neck or in the, in the general head area with his stick. We have seen crazier things in this league and some freaky injuries. We've seen goaltenders necks slashed by skates, sticks, pucks. You don't think if their stick catches a goaltender on the right angle when you jab it forward and you're a professional athlete, so you're fairly strong and you catch him in a bad spot. Who knows what happens? Not an intent to injure. What was the goal? What was the goal? That's it's a question I ask for anything. When you're making any decision in life, what is what is the goal as to why you're doing it? You know what I mean? Like, for example, if you're driving on the road and you're honking and you're giving the person in front of you the finger and you're telling them off or whatever the case may be, what's the goal in doing that? What are you trying to accomplish when doing that? Are you trying to let them know that they're a bad driver? Are you just angry and getting frustrated? The, the way I think and the way I go about things, there always has to be a goal. You know, even when I'm doing something that doesn't have a goal, like if I'm just relaxing and I'm watching Netflix or if I'm playing video games, the goal is to try and de-stress. The goal is to relax and enjoy myself before I have to deal with any other real life problems like fixing my flooring, which is two feet beside me, which we spent over $1,100 on flooring and found out it was the wrong flooring. So I had to pick it all up, box it all up. I have to take it to Home Depot and get it switched for different flooring because it didn't go with, with the, the concrete that we have in there right now. So I go play a game, de-stress, feel better. And go tackle that job again. If I'm going to work. You know. I have a goal of trying to entertain people. If I do the podcast. I don't come on here and I'm not prepared and ready to go. I don't come on to this podcast and go what's the goal? To deliver good content. Well if I don't study. If I don't research. If I don't follow along with the National Hockey League. I can't do that. So in order to do anything that you're doing. What is the goal? And for Brad Marchand. I'm trying to see a clear view of the goal as to why he did what he did. And my answer to it is either one, he doesn't have one or two, he's trying to hurt Tristan Jari. He's upset. He's frustrated. He's getting anger out and he's trying to injure him. You don't swing your stick at someone's head and not think you're not going to hurt him. I, 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 
the mental state right now that I'm trying to figure this out in is unbelievable. I've been talking with a couple of buddies about it. Me and my buddy, Matt, we've been going back and forth and we were dying laughing because he sent me a post on Twitter and he's like, he's, he's appealing the suspension. I'm like, in what world do you think you're winning this? I also want to point out the fact that Brad Marchand in his 13 year career has been suspended eight times. Did you think after seven suspensions, you'd get to skip the eighth one? I couldn't even imagine being a Bruins fan right now and defending that. Oh, you wish you had him on your team for his hockey playing ability? Sure. Not denying that. But you can't sit there right now, watch what Brad Marchand did and be like, yeah, I agree with it. I'd be pissed off too. I do. How? You're not right if you're if you're on his side and think that that's not suspension worthy. You punched a play. You walked up to someone who had no knowledge you were there. Sucker punched him in the head. I don't care if he was wearing a mask. And then as you were getting detained by the referee, skated up to him and tried to jab your stick into the dude's face or neck or whatever head area. It's not like you poked him in the pad or you poked him in the chest. It's a very wide margin between those areas. Like even the Boston commentators. They're the most ridiculous homers I've ever heard in my life. But even they were like, as much as they were trying to be, you could hear them be like, uh, a guy like Marshan that's probably not going to sit well. Like, no duh, that's not going to sit well. I found it laughable that he appealed the suspension. I'm glad he got six. I think he should have got more. It was an absolute attempt to injure. If it was Tom Wilson, he would have gotten 12 games. Eighth suspension in his 13-year career. He's 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 a pest. He's one of those players that you hate is not on your team. But if you'd on your if he's on your team, you'd love him. But not that man. There's just there's a mentality where if I'm sitting here as a Bruins fan seeing that I I can't defend it. I go I go talk to my buddies about it. And I'm like, I don't. He's an idiot. I don't know what to tell you. It was a stupid move by him. He is a very from what I hear. He does a lot of work with 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 kids and with charity and stuff, and he's always very giving. He's always very supportive, but on the ice, he's a dick. He just is, and it's it's his playing style. I get that, but not when you're trying to to injure a player or try to take him out for a couple games. I know he deny it tooth and nail, but you don't jab your stick or stab your stick towards a player's head without an intent to injure. I don't understand the goal. And what alternate it could be. But he got six games. He'll be back this season. I just. That's not the stuff you want to see. You you do all your little antics. You get inside people's heads. Sure. But you start sucker punching. And being a little asshole. And start jabbing your stick towards players necks. Like thank God Tristan Jari has that little plastic neck protector. If you don't have that. I guarantee you. He slits his neck. And probably causes a couple stitches. And. Jari has to leave the game and I just, I don't get it. I don't understand his mentality sometimes. I know he can be a good guy at times off the ice when you see stuff, when he's, when he's, you know, has the bromance with Pasternak and Zidane Chara, and he's taking his kid phone and he's signing stuff. But stuff like that is just, it, it has no place in the league, unfortunately. It has no place in the league.
All right, let's move on here and let's talk the Arizona Coyotes, because why not talk the Arizona Coyotes and this whole announcement that they are going to be for the next three seasons playing at ASU's multi-purpose arena, an arena that holds a maximum of 5,000 fans at Arizona State University. So let's start with this. So the Coyotes president and CEO, Xavier Gutierrez, said this. All I can say to those players who have concerns is I understand because they're hearing from the outside that it's a college arena. It's so small. Do these guys really have a plan? I can tell you this is a plan. We have it and we're willing to put our capital behind it. Ready for this? Quote, it's a brand new facility. This isn't putting lipstick on a pig. It's a state-of-the-art brand new facility. We are putting over $25 million to make it to NHL standard. The NHL standard is 20,000 fans. Any prospering market, that is. You go to Tampa Bay, you go to New York... You go to Boston, you go to Toronto, you go to Montreal, or any Canadian city outside of Ottawa. Sorry, Ottawa. I just just will never get over the playoff run in which they had to put black curtains on their upper bowl because they physically couldn't sell out seats. But anyways, back back to Arizona and defending what's going on. I understand it's brand new. I understand that you're putting money and capital into it. And that you're trying to be optimistic about it. I understand that it's under construction and that things are going to grow. But stop kidding yourself. You can use the expression, it's not putting lipstick on a pig. But you can't sugarcoat crap. There are junior teams... Not even OHL teams, which, by the way, the average OHL attendance has more fans than what you're going to put in Arizona for the next three to four years. But junior teams, junior A teams, small town barns that hold four to five thousand people in it sell out every time. And let me throw this question out. What if Arizona doesn't sell out those games? What if Arizona doesn't pack that house every night? Even if you get 4,000 or 4,500 fans. If news goes around, if people find out that you're not selling out as a National Hockey League franchise... You don't sell out an arena that holds a measly 5,000 people. Kiss your team goodbye. Gary Bettman is clearly in favor of teams in the United States. And I don't know what Arizona has on Gary Bettman for him to not relocate that team and make an absorbent amount of money in any other Even if you want to keep that team in the friggin' States, fine. But there are God knows how many Canadian markets who would love a team. 
Saskatchewan would be a great example. Quebec would be a great example. But move the team to another area. But even Gary Bettman, if that team goes that three, four years and they do not sell out every single game, you got to sit there and be like, we're not upgrading you to a bigger arena where you also don't sell out games. You're not making money. You're a pit hole in this league. They are a laughing stock. The last time they were good, they had one run in the playoffs where they lost in the bubble in the play-in to Minnesota. Before then, they had they had that run with Mike Smith, and that was the last time they sold out an arena. Right? They made like the the Western Conference Finals or the Western Conference Semifinals, and they lost to Detroit and that Pavel Datsuk team. Since then, it's been abysmal. And this is where you know that either one, the CEO knows nothing about the hockey world or hockey in general, or two, he is just trying to blindly be optimistic and lie through his teeth. Ready? This is what he said about Arizona. This is a hockey town. We've said this from the beginning. What we've needed in this arena solution in order to really super serve that demand and that fan base and that fan base in waiting. Sorry to tell you, there's no fan base in waiting. The only time you ever even remotely have fans are when the Toronto Maple Leafs come through because the player on the other team is from Scottsdale, Arizona. Other than that, there's bigger teams. There's the Cardinals. There's the Diamondbacks. There's just bigger. There's the college team that plays there at Arizona State University is going to have more fans than the hockey team. Get this team out of there. It's not hard. It's really not that difficult. Move them to another American city. I don't care. Vegas is doing great. Seattle's doing great. Put them in another, put another West Coast team out there. I don't care. But don't stop kidding yourselves and thinking Arizona is going to be this long-term solution is going to start profiting. They're not. Even if they get good, it's not a guarantee they sell out games. Why? Because there are bigger teams there. I'm sorry to say it. I'm sure I, I know that Arizona's got a following. I know that they've got a fan base. But there's a reason they moved out of Phoenix. It didn't work. And you moved down the road to Arizona. And guess what? It's still not working. I know that there are some dedicated fans out there. I get that. But not enough to make this team profit. You've got the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Diamondbacks. You've got the the, 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 foot, the college football team. You've got the college hockey team that's probably going to average more fans. I, there's nothing you can say to me that's going to, that's going to change my mind about it. It's just, it's... It's rough and it's it's a wild world we live in in today's game where there's going to be an arena that has half the capacity as the London Knights. London Knights average almost 10,000 people a game. Arizona will have half of that if they sell out. All right, let's go over quick here. Let's go over a couple coaching changes and we'll finish with Tuka Rass. Marty St. Louis in for Montreal. Dominic Ducharme relieved of his duties. Martin St. Louis is now the new interim head coach. And he even came in and he said, 
I'm not coming here to be a substitute teacher. I have every intention of being here for a long time. I'll have to prove myself over and over again to earn it. Uh, after the Canadians fired Ducharme this past Wednesday, it was about a week ago, uh, tomorrow, I guess, uh, less than one year after the team went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, injuries, I, we talked about this already in the podcast, but... Uh, Jeff Gordon added that general manager Kent Hughes has already decided that uh, they would let Ducharme go at the end of the season, but they opted to cut his tenure short uh, as the situation kept deteriorating. This is from TSN's John Liu. Marty St. Louis has played over 1,100 games in the NHL. He's won a Stanley Cup. He is a native of the area. He's incredibly well-respected. It's a guy from... It's a local guy who speaks the language. It's everything that they want. It's a very interesting hire for sure. I get it. It'll be interesting to see how he does. I've always been intrigued when not players become coaches, but successful players become coaches. You know what I mean? Like when Adam Oates tried being the head coach. When Wayne Gretzky tried being a head coach. When and as successful as they are in the National Hockey League, it's difficult when you were so great as a player to then transition. That's why, you know, a lot of you know, form players that had their careers cut shorter go on to be coaches or players that didn't necessarily have like that superstar skill or like that wasn't what they were known for. Like Sheldon Keefe is a former player in the National Hockey League. A lot of coaches have some sort of a playing experience, even if they play junior, if they played in the AHL, they do a lot better because they are the in their time playing. They are the popular player in the locker room. They're the leader. They're vocal. So it's an easier transition being a head coach. I know Marty St. Louis is this. He has this incredible story of being like five foot eight or five foot nine and being this underdog his whole career. And he just put the work in. He kept grinding and grinding and grinding. He ended up being one of the best right wingers in the National Hockey League. But it's a very different transition now being a head coach and having to be the big dog and having to be the big vocal voice and having to do this. I think he gets that team fired up. I think he's kind of a really good fit for what Montreal's culture is there and being scrappy and being just a nightmare to deal with when they're on their game and when they're good. The run last year when they just they took the underdog title and they ran with it. They sucked playing against you didn't want to play them. They were annoying. They were relentless. And then when they took the lead and you went to score, they had this friggin' brick wall in net and these just abusive defenders who got away with murder back there. And you're like, I don't know how we're going to beat this team. And they went all the way to the cup finals with it. It'll be very interesting. I don't know a whole lot of uh, coaching experience, but basically he said going from coaching Pee Wee to an original six franchise is quite the jump, but... He said he's not phased. He said it's always been a dream of his to coach after playing. It was a matter of time. They gave me a chance. He said I'll show him what he can do. So interesting stuff over there. Uh, another coaching change that happened. Dave Tippett out in Edmonton um, brought in was Jay Woodcroft. He is now the new head coach or the interim head coach for the time being. He was brought in to replace Tippett after he was fired on Thursday of last week after losing 16 games in his last 23. So far, Woodcroft. 2-0. Dreisaitl and McDavid, they say they are on board with the systematic changes that the team has gone there. Um, they call him Woody, which is hilarious because I have a buddy named Ryan Woodcroft and we call him Woody too. So when I just saw like the headline from the score that said, tip it out, Woodcroft is coach. I just shot him a text and I sent him the picture. And I went, hey buddy, good luck. And he died laughing. I think it's actually, he texted me. I think he said it's a family relative of his, which is super cool. But like of all things, 
because I don't know a whole lot of other Woodcrofts out there, but he said, I'm actually related to him. He's like my grandpa's cousin's son. So pretty far removed. He said he never met him, but um, just a small world, obviously. Now, I will say this for as much systematic change as Woodcroft is going to put in there. I totally understand it. He's the fourth coach in seven years since Connor McDavid was drafted in 2015. And as and maybe these changes will work. But my stance has not changed on the Edmonton Oilers and that it's a nice little boost. Players kind of get rejuvenated with a new voice. They're not they're not drowning him out anymore. But the key problems are still there for Edmonton. And that is you need a goaltender. You need a defenseman. I'm telling you, start from the crease. You work your way out. Go get a Ben Sherratt. Go get a Josh Manson. Go get a Jacob. Ch- I don't know. Go get someone. Goaltending. They've been linked to Simeon Varlamov. Go get him. Go get Hopi. Go get Morazic. Go get Matt Murray. There's a there's there's half a dozen goalie options out there and another half a dozen defensive options you can easily go and acquire. Go get one of those. Move some players. Go get a defenseman. Go get a goalie. You can do an exorbitant amount of things with two of the top five best players on the planet at forward. You can split them up. They can do damage on separate lines. They can do damage to everybody. You've got Zach Hyman. You've got Nugent Hopkins. You've got Dreisaitl. You've got a young defenseman who's putting up points, who's playing big minutes, and is cheap in Evan Bouchard. Take advantage of that. Go make a deal where you move Miko Koskinen and a first-round pick and go get a friggin' goalie. It would make all the sense in the world if they did that. It makes so much sense to me. Take Koskinen. We're going to take a goalie of yours. Here's another goalie in return. It's He's in the final year of his deal. He's done after this year. That money comes off the books for you. Go trade him to a team that's not making the playoffs, who can eat the cap. I've never... The Islanders make the most sense. They're not a good team. They've got a goalie in the future. They'll take on that contract, take a first-round pick, revamp. Varlamov probably going to be out there anyways. And Varlamov probably fits a lot better in Edmonton than he does right now in, in the island. But those are my echoing effects. But Woodcroft so far, 2-0. and We'll see how long the new voice, you know, rejuvenates the team before things kind of topple off again. I still think they need to make a couple moves for them to be a real threat to make it far. We've seen it time after time again. You cannot win the playoffs scoring. You can't score your way out of problems in the playoffs. That's what I'll say. You can win some games. But when things get locked down, when things get tighter, it's a whole lot harder to score. Edmonton experienced it last year when they got swept by Winnipeg who's not even in a playoff spot this year. Uh, And then final story I want to get to here. uh, After trying to make a comeback, Tuka Rask called it a career. 34-year-old returned from hip surgery this season, played four games, and then saying, you know what, I don't have it anymore, and hung out the pads. He put out a statement that basically said, quote, today's the day I hoped would never have to come, but now... That it's here, I feel I owe it to everyone to hear it from me. Over these last few weeks, I've realized that my body is not responding the way it needs to for me to play at this level that I expect myself and that my teammates and the Bruins fans deserve. Therefore, it's with a heavy heart that I announce my retirement 
from the game of hockey. He's a first-round pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs in 05, was traded there the following season in exchange for Andrew Raycroft. He went on to play 564 games for the Bruins, finishing with the, are you ready for this, by the way? Fourth best save percentage in league history among qualified goaltenders. Those qualified goaltenders include Dominic Hasek, Johnny Bauer, Ken Dryden, Ben Bishop. He has a career 228 goals against average. He's a Stanley Cup champion, winning it in 2011, and he won the Vesna Trophy as the league's best goaltender in 2014. He is the Boston Bruins' all-time leader in games played, wins, and goals saved above average. You know, for a goaltender much maligned throughout his career there, even when they won the Cup in 2011, Remember, that was when Tim Thomas was there, when Tim Thomas moved on, took Rastic over. They went to the finals a couple years later against Chicago. He gave up those two goals late, the last one to Dave Boland with less than a minute left. And things have never really been the same for Bruins fans and him. They've never trusted him. I'm telling you right now, I would say about 90% of the teams, 85% of the teams around the league would trade their starting goaltender for Tuka Rask in his heyday. Back when Tuka Rask was getting maligned, and was putting up like he was getting, like he was not well received in 2014. He won the Vesna. He wasn't received in 2015 and 16 and 17. He has a career 921 save percentage. If I looked at Tuka Rask, even a few years ago when he was still in, Boss was making those runs. I look around at all the teams today. Edmonton would take him. I would say Toronto would consider taking him. I would say the Sens would take him. I think the Kings would take him now with Jonathan Quick kind of falling out of favor there. I think Vegas would take him. I think most teams in the league, I think Minnesota would take him. I think Colorado would take him. I think the Flyers would take him. The Sabres would take him. The Devils would take him. The Islanders would take him. The Blue Jackets would take him. The Red Wings would take him. I think the Capitals would take him knowing they've played him a bunch of times too. I think Florida, Tampa, Carolina, New York, along with, what, Calgary, maybe Anaheim, and possibly the Blues and, and, and the Jets. But Chicago would take them. Sharks would take them. Kraken would take them. Arizona would take them. God, he was so good. He was so good all the time. He wasn't lights out in the postseason, but he always gave you a big save and was like kind of the perfect fit in Boston for some reason. Always super cool, super calm and collected and grossly underrated for his numbers that he put up. Career 228 goals against save percentage, career 921 save percentage. If a goaltender this season alone has a 921 save percentage, it's an incredible year. And just for fun, to put it all in perspective for you, to understand what he did over his entire career, he is a career, what did I say? 921 save percentage. The only goaltenders that have a better save percentage, starting goaltenders, I'm not counting uh, Louis Domingue has a 976 because he's played like two games this year. Sorry, he's played one game this year. But of starting goaltenders, the only guys that have a higher mark this season are Igor Shosturkin, 
Frederick Anderson, Jacob Markstrom, Tristan Jari, Soros, Vasilevsky, Jack Campbell. Thatcher Demko, John Gibson are tied with him. Bobrovsky's lower than him. By the way, his 228 goals against average as well. The only starting goaltenders that have better numbers than that are Igor Shosturkin, Frederick Anderson, Jacob Markstrom, and Tristan Jari. Andre Vasilevsky squeaks in there, but he's got a better goals against average in his career than Jack Campbell has this season, than Vitek Vanacek has this season, than UC Soros has this season, than Darcy Kemper has this season, than Igor uh, uh, Ilya Sorokin, and Thatcher Demko. Those are guys in the top 25 this season. It's a lot more names than I thought, but over a career... He's got better numbers than some starting goaltenders have this year alone who are having great seasons. Congratulations on a remarkable career. And slowly but surely, this offseason, it was David Krejci. Now in season, it's Tuka Rask. And at some point, Patrice Bergeron's kind of fading out. And this Bruins run, Zidane Ochara left as well. (laughs) Who knows? They might require him. I don't really know. But man, what a run it was for Tukes. Congratulations on a spectacular career. Um, One of the best, at least in this past era, to to ever do it. And finally, we'll get over a couple more news and notes to get to. The Canadians have placed Ben Sherratt on IR Sunday due to a lower body injury. He's expected to miss a week. I don't think it's going to hurt his trade value. He's one of the guys that a lot of teams are going after. Apparently, a first or maybe even second round pick could get him. But uh, out for the next week or so. Uh, Also, big news yesterday. The Ontario government announced Monday it's going to speed up the province's reopening timeline. According to City News, Michael Ranger, the NHL's Toronto Maple Leafs and Ottawa Senators are going to be able to increase to 50% capacity starting February 17th. That is Thursday. And if public health indicators keep trending in the right direction, they will be full houses March 1st. Winnipeg has gone full capacity. Some other provinces have gone there. Alberta looks like they're there too. Ontario, we're the last to do it. But we're getting there. So thank goodness, 50% on Thursday and by March 1st, hopefully full capacity crowds, which is great. And then I didn't want to I didn't want to just kind of comb over this. I wanted to, to end on, on this note here. Um, American hike, hockey icon Cami Granado is brought on by the Vancouver Canucks as the assistant general manager the team announced last Thursday. Granado previously worked for the Seattle Kraken as a pro scout. She became the first woman in NHL history to hold the title when Seattle hired her in 2019. She is also going to be overseeing the Canucks player development department and amateur and pro scouting department. This is a great ad for them. She has clearly been jumping around and slowly upgrading to the point where she is now the assistant GM. I love what Vancouver is doing at the front office. It has been something that I was going to write a piece about too. I think that'll be my next one, but they have for the overhaul that they have done. They have done a spectacular job, a spectacular job. Jim Rutherford obviously starts at the top. Who's like the president and CEO. They also brought in uh, Patrick Alvin as their general manager. They also have, as one of their other assistant general managers, Emily Castongi. So I, I just, I, I love, one, that they are picking apart, you know, employees from other teams and bringing them out of the organization. But they also let go of their head coach, and they brought on Bruce Boudreaux, replacing Travis Green. They got a brand new GM, removing Jim Benning. They've got a new CEO and and 
voice in Jim Rutherford, who has who has always had success. And now they brought on two very, very prominent female assistant general managers, Granado and Castlegui. She is one of the most decorated women's hockey players of all time. She's a gold medalist in the 1998 Olympics and retired as the all-time leading scorer in women's international hockey. She was inducted in the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2010 as one of two women on the institution's selection committee. That is a heck of an ad for the Vancouver Canucks and a slow clap to them for arguably one of the best front office turnarounds in a calendar year that I think I've seen in a long time. Think about it. Rutherford comes in, Jim Benning out, Patrick Alvin in, Travis Green out, Bruce Boudreaux in, Emily Castongui, and Cami Granado in as assistant GM. Tell me a better turnaround than that. I, honestly, the vibe there is different. I just, I don't know. I think it's a great vibe down there. And uh, a big congratulations going out to Cami. Very well deserved. Congratulations to her. And, and we'll see what they do at the trade deadline as well. I'm sure they're going to have significant uh, impact as to what they do. And, you know, it, it's going to be fun watching that team, you know, continue to build and get back to hopefully contending for a playoff spot in a Stanley Cup at some point in, in the future. All right. That does it for me today. What a show. Uh, I feel like overhaul is a pretty good name and app for the show today. Thank you for following along as always Instagram and Twitter at ST hockey podcast online, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, and Spotify, Apple podcasts. You can leave a review more articles, the hockey writers. I'm going to put this whole thing together and enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy some, some hockey and hopefully in Ontario, some larger crowds and 50% capacity and some friggin' normalcy until next time. That's a wrap. 